0: Welcome to Sobre Mesa with me, Alan Maguire, the podcast that concentrates on current affairs and modern Spanish society. First off, I'd like to give a shout out to Gaspacho Monk. And he said also that if you're interested in more than the sun and the beach, then to give Sobre Mesa a listen. So, Gaspacho Monk, thank you very much for your feedback. As always, you can tweet on the hashtag Sobre Mesa and i will read out your tweets the following week so today we're going to be talking about regionalism and nationalism we're going to be obviously referring back to yesterday's regional elections in the basque country and galicia and we're also going to talk a little bit about the king or the or the, the the old king and doctors striking in madrid but before we get on to the elections and the results i just want to talk about my outing last friday night i i I live in a commuter town just outside of madrid you could say it's the croydon of of madrid um apparently there's around one in a hundred people here is a foreigner so you know quite a high proportion of the city is from spain And I went to a outdoor concert, social distancing, masks, alcohol gel. Very nice. Um, But as I was sat down the front watching the music, and as I turned around, I saw a sea of people with masks on, and I noticed, and I'm sure most of you that live in heavily populated areas have noticed, that Spanish people wearing uh, masks with the Spanish flag on. Now, this was a trend started by Vox back in the quarantine, um, but this trend seems to have continued, and I've seen you know, people of all ages, in fact, all nationalities, not just Spaniards, wearing the small Spanish mask on. And if any of you were here during the lockdown, you will also have noticed the rise in patriotism the you can't really call it nationalism nationalism is the thought that your country is better and superior to somebody else's but being a patriot is being proud of where you are from and in some cases where you're living so this increase in in the patriot feeling got me thinking about regional identities uh in Spain which are quite strong you have obviously Catalonia which has blown up in recent years but you also have strong identities in in the Basque country, in Galicia, and in Andalusia as well. And it makes you wonder if this nationalism has translated into regionalism. Um, in Madrid, Madrid is a comunidad on its, on its own terms, but it's probably the youngest, well, it is the youngest comunidad in terms of age in Spain. And it more or less, most people say that there aren't actually that many people from Madrid that live here. Most people have come from other parts of Spain and other parts of the world, in fact, to come and live in Madrid. So the regional identity here isn't really that strong. It comes out every now and then, mainly around San Isidro, which is the the local patron saint uh, festivities where people dress up as in a typical madrileño uh, dress. But apart from that, most of the patriotism around here is is identified with the the nationalistic uh, ideology rather than a local one and you can see in madrid as well there are lots of regional houses so andalucia have a regional house the basque country galicia they all have their own regional houses in madrid it's quite interesting now we can see i've sort of had my question answered for me because I, I haven't been able to travel to these other regions which have their own identity but we can see from the elections that this has translated into regional feeling across both galicia and the basque country the basque country galicia and catalonia uh, around the time of the this constitution that it was written were considered the historical nationalities. And they could apply for home rule uh, via holding a simple referendum and writing their own statutes. And they had powers given to them over things such as education, health, uh, housing, uh, and some environmental issues. And when Catalonia and the bus country both applied, they were both allowed to set their own police force, their own television and radio networks. So, and Galicia did hold a referendum, but uh, less than less than uh, I think less than 40 percent of the population showed up for it and didn't actually vote for self-autonomous rule. Uh Even though they do have their own statutes at the moment. You know, since 1987, there have been four different presidents two from the Pepe and two from the Pessoi in Galicia. Uh, But the Pessoi only ruled for two terms, and one of those terms was a coalition. The rest of the time, it's been blue. Uh, Galicia is one of the strongholds for the Pepe, the Conservative Party, and it's often been the more moderate version of the Pepe. Rajoy, the last uh, Prime Minister of Spain was from Galicia. One of the most prominent presidents of Galicia from the PP was uh, Manuel Fraga who he ruled from 1990 to 2005. Uh, he was famous because during the coup in 1981 where uh, Tejero entered the Spanish parliament and took several well most of the mp's hostage Flagger sort of refused to stand down uh in the face of a, of a of a gun um and he was ra- rather famous for that as it was caught on film um and he and he wasn't one to be pushed around he was a minister under franco he was the tourism minister, and he was part of the tourism sector that saw the boom in tourism. He was also one of the architects of the famous line, Spain is different. But when it came, when Franco died, and it came to the transition, he was one of the ministers that admitted that Francoism couldn't keep on and that they needed to transition to democracy. He was one of the founding uh, members of AP, which was the predecessor to Uh, the PP. So it's the People's Alliance and then it changed to Partido Popular or the People's Party. And he is also considered one of the fathers of the constitution. So he helped write the Spanish constitution with people from all different parts of the political spectrum. He's held several positions um, but his longest serving one was as president of the Galicia government and he he actually got beat in 2005 because of the giant oil spill that was there. And that resulted in the Psoe, um getting elected. Fiejo, the current president of Galicia, has recently just matched Flagas' streak of winning four elections in a row. And Fiejo is see, sort of seen as... Um, what they call a, a a rajoyista so he he's very much a moderate he's very much measured in his speech and he's seen as a very good politician and he has continued to con- win between 35 and 40% of the vote um now turnout was down during this election from 63 to 58% but he still managed to get 47% of the vote, which translated into 41 seats. So therefore, he already has a majority, which is good for him as he won't have to make any deals. Now, the Galician part of the Pepe, as I've said, is, is seen as the moderate and, and is seen as the Rajoy part, but Pablo Casado is seen more to the, the right um, seen as as an heir to of Aznar, which is the more hardcore neoliberal part of the PP. Um, Esperanza Aguirre, the ex president of the Madrid Comunidad, often said that Margaret Thatcher was her was her idol and, and there's even a plaza in, in Madrid named after Margaret Thatcher. That's the more radically economically right radical side of the pepe and pablo cansado is sort of is is taking the pp that way to try and fight for voters with vox and fejo in galicia is seen as more moderate and trying to you know trying to drag Casado this uh to more towards the center and, and to be more moderate Um, not just economically, but also socially. Another interesting fact from the Galician elections was that the BNG, so that is the Galician Nationalist Bloc, overtook both Podemos and the Pessoae in the elections. Uh, They got 23% of the vote and 19 seats, uh, 13 more than the last election the so got 19% and 15 seats, so they only got one more. But the biggest uh, upset was probably for Podemos, who only got 4% of the vote. Now, in Galicia, you have to get over 5% of the vote to get representation in Parliament. So they lost all 14 seats. Vox only got 2% of the vote, and Philodanos got less than 1%. Uh, the BNG uh, are a regionalist left wing party. They're not separatists though they are they describe themselves as a as a nationalist bloc uh, and progressive in their outlook they they're a coalition of various um parties um, and more importantly as well I think is trade unions um from from Galicia uh, they supported the pesoe from two thousand and five to two thousand and nine in in the coalition government um, in between in between the Pepe's on un- Nearly unbroken rain in the area. And they have sort of taken over from uh, Podemos's coalition that was the Tide, it's called in English. This was the old coalition from 2015 and it disbanded in 2019 with Podemos pulling out due to allegations over fraud regarding a leadership contest. Uh, the most prominent member. Of this group was probably Yolanda Díaz, who won her first seat on the, uh, as an MP back in 2015 under this coalition. Uh, she is now the current minister for labour in the coalition, um, and she she was later part of Galicia and Comun, who are who are the part that have just lost all of their representation. And I think it really brings home that this regional identity has sort of been embraced by the left, by the BNG, but also by the PP. There might be some leadership challenges towards Casado uh, if he were not to if he were to stay on the right and not come back to the centre. So that's definitely something to watch out for. Now whilst the PP have completely annihilated any opposition in Galicia, they weren't so fortunate in the bus country they actually lost four seats and went down to five seats in the basque country and a lot of people are putting this down to pablo casado's ill-informed campaign which where he decided to join in a coalition and stand on a joint ticket with ciderdanos so ciderdanos politicians were mixed with pepe politicians in the basque country and they've actually lost um four seats And Vox gained one seat. The Busque National Party, or the PNV, got 31 seats. Um, It was an increase of three. And more surprisingly, El Bildu got 22 seats, an increase of four. The PSOE gained and only just about reached 10 seats. And again, Podemos lost five seats. They went from 11 seats to six seats. Now, in 2016, the the, um, the PNV, so that's the the Basque National Party, the main the main one, uh, got 3,393,000 votes, and in 2020, it got 349,000 votes. So that's a, a loss of 50,000 votes. Uh, however, it gained an extra three seats compared to. 2016 this is due to the pr system that the electoral system that we have 47 percent of the bus po- population didn't go out and vote yesterday uh, that was quite a controversial thing because the public health section of of place Basco said you know please don't go out and vote if you have symptoms of coronavirus so out of the 47 percent that abstained Um, The rest of the vote, the PNV got 38%. Now, the PNV are the second oldest party in Spain, and they're often described as a centre-right party. And, you know, I don't think that's a very good description of the PNV. The PNV are actually, to me, seem quite representative of the Basque Country as um, as a majority, really. Uh, So if you've ever ever been to the West Country, it's uh, got, you know, a different vibe to the rest of Spain. And it's often described as being socially conservative, or I think traditionalist is probably a better description, whilst also being sort of centre-left economically. So socially democratic, um, you know, good welfare state, uh, reasonable taxation, um, whilst also respecting uh, tradition. Um, And, and, you know, the Basque Country do have their own very strong traditions. If you go there at Christmas, you'll see that they've got their own version of of Santa Claus. Uh, It's it's a farmer called the Orenchero, and he goes around and is shaking a log, and presents fall out of it and fly uh, into children's houses. Um, Quite a scary-looking character if you're a four-year-old, I can assure you. Now, Podemos lost an astounding 85,000 votes. And Bildu, so this is the left-wing separatist Basque party, was the only one to gain any votes, 23,000 of them. So they got 27% of the vote in the end. Uh, Bildu is is a, is a left-wing coalition of various groups um, that only stands in the Basque country and Nevada, uh, as does the PNV. And it's and it is pro independence and it is seen to carry the mantle of uh Batsuna. And Batsuna was the political arm of ETA and it was dissolved in two thousand and fifteen um by the Spanish courts. Then they tried to set up uh Bildu and that was also they were also told, you know, you cannot stand. Uh but that was overturned after after a lot of um, protests in Bilbao and that was in 2011. Now the reason that Bildu are associated uh, often with Batsuna is because the leader, uh, Ortegi, used to be a member of Batsuna. Um, he was also in ETA and has been to prison uh, and he is the leader of Bildu. Bildu, it should also be noted, has several other members that were ex-ETA members. However, ETA has been disbanded now for several years. Is a group called Basque Solidarity, and they were more of a socialist break-off from the PNV. So, there are various elements to this party. Now, a rise in their vote has been seen as quite controversial by some, uh, with the PP saying that it's a failure of the education system of Spain, because there was uh, several articles, I think one of them was in El País, that asked young people in the Basque country if they knew who Miguel Ángel Blanco was, Uh, and they didn't. Now, Miguel Ángel Blanco was a PP politician in the Basque country. He was 29 years old, and he was kidnapped by ETA. Uh, This was back in 1997, so not that long ago at all. And despite huge national outcry, you know, there was protests, not just in the Basque country, but all over Spain. uh, They shot him in the head and he was murdered. Now, this really turned even some of uh, ETA's supporters in the Basque country against ETA. um, And it was seen as a turning point for the group and for Spain, and a lot of people are saying that, you know, if if the legacy of Miguel Angel Blanco was taught properly, that maybe so many people wouldn't have voted for Bildu. Um, so let me know what you think about that. Education is quite a controversial topic in Spain because it's one of the responsibilities of the regional government. So you're often hear various things of people complaining about that children aren't being taught about, main one probably being the civil war. Um, There's also been suggestions that Catalonia teach a completely different history to the rest of Spain, uh, which has been denied on on several occasions. Um, And and this is the latest controversial um, remark to come up with regards to education. We will have to see what the outcome of the elections are, now that the results are out and we can see who has won, who will try and form coalitions. I think in Galicia it's quite straightforward that the PP will obviously rule because they have an outright majority. The PNV will need to um, negotiate with somebody uh, to form a coalition. Now this could either be with Bildu, or maybe they want to try and distance themselves from the other nationalist group and maybe they will go with the PSOE um, as they have done in the past. So within hours of the uh, results coming out Pablo Iglesias tweeted out that they needed to do some basically deep soul searching uh, as to why they've lost all their representation in Galicia and half their representation in the Basque country. Uh, To rub salt into the rune, Erachon, who was one of the masterminds behind Podemos, but split off last year to form Mas País, started to tweet that the left needed to come together and work together and even maybe, you know, let certain groups stand and and stand other groups down not to take away votes. And, you know, the left have to be more tactical uh, in their elections. And he got attacked for these comments because he was seen as one of the splitters. Uh, He left Podemos because he wasn't happy with the direction uh, of the group because he was outvoted at their, their second Congress. Now, this will probably weaken Podemos's position within the coalition government and their ability to try and press for more radical policies before the EU decides how it wants countries to pay back the money, I think often the EU is underestimated uh, in its value in Spain, and it you know it does play a big part in in shaping the directions that politicians can go in in Spain, especially Pedro Sanchez. So at the moment they've talked about investing up to a trillion euros in various countries and how much of it Spain is going to get and how much it isn't going to get and how much it's going to have to pay back and how much is isn't going to have to pay back. But there is a large percentage that, that the EU has not decided on how countries are going to have to pay back. And I think that the, the coalition government very well know that they have to try and push things through before these announcements come out. Uh, Italy and France are working together with Spain to try and to try and make the debt a mutual debt um, but until until the EU reach a conclusion, Spain sort of has the clock ticking against it really about what it can and cannot do where it can invest where it cannot invest because the eu have said you know all rules are off the table at the moment just try and get yourselves sorted. Um, But as soon as they do decide how the money has to be paid back, that's when restraints will be put on where money can be spent, how it can be spent and where it can be spent. So whilst this clock is ticking, Podemos are also up against the wall because of their loss of support in Galicia and the Basque Country. And that might not put as much pressure on um the pesoy to do more radical things that they have been talking about things such as tax on uh, wealth tax and taxes on digital tax on google and and various other things so this will really shape uh, this these regional elections whilst they might not directly affect national national politics they will have a knock on effect on the confidence um and the power relationships within the coalition Uh, and the direction that Spain will take, um, and timing is everything in politics a lot of the time, and we will see coalition can sort of try and work something out before the EU comes down and says this is what we're doing. So it will be interesting to see how this plays out for the coalition government. On the opposition side, we've already talked about how the PP might have a bit of a directional struggle. Ciro Danos, it was the first time they'd stud in the Basque country so I don't really think that's going to have any effect for them um, and getting less than one percent in Galicia probably wasn't such a great thing but I don't think it's going to affect them overall as they are moving more back to the center and they are making friends with people that under Alberto Riviera the last leader they probably wouldn't have talked to. So Inés Aramadas is uh, a lot more flexible in her approach to politics than her predecessor. This will come as a, a welcome thing to the EU, who who would favour to see a, you know, a coalition of the centre rather than a coalition with um, Podemos, especially when it comes down to financial management, as the Pessoa and Therodanos would agree with the EU at a click of a finger whereas Podemos would put up a lot more resistance and it from looking at some of the politicians tweets from Podemos it looks like they are getting a bit more resistant to the EU. Uh, the announcement that Calavaglio that one of the finance ministers in Spain the Pessoa finance ministers was put up for uh, president of the Eurogroup um, and she got beat by uh, the Irish candidate, uh, despite being backed by France and Germany. Pablo Iglesias came out and said they've given it to the guy that proceeds over basically a tax haven, which uh, criticising criticizing Ireland's financial policy and low taxes. Vox tried not to lose face. I mean, they got their first seat in the Basque country, which it shocked a few people, but it's the first time that there's been a far right party in in the, in the in the Basque country um but i think a lot of people knew it was coming um ortega smith has the sort of second in command in the vox has tried to stand there before but yes they have their first mp in the regional parliament so i think she will be planning to make a lot of noise in there but to not lose face, because they did put a lot of money into Galicia, I think is quite a strange uh, campaign. But it was, you know, a picture of the sort of hard man, Santiago Abascal, walking along you know, with his grandmother saying we should look after our elders. Um, I think it's kind of hypocritical when they voted against the, the state of alarm. And I think a lot of people can sort of see through that. Um, so, uh, you know, voting against the state of alarm and politicising the quarantine, I don't think did Vox many favours. But it seems to be that they're floating around the same mark as they always have been. And the people that have gone to vote for Vox don't seem to be returning to the PP anytime soon. They have also complained that they weren't able to deliver their message in the Basque Country and Galicia, more so uh, in the Basque Country. They even them out one of the banners that, they, uh, that some protesters were holding up against them in the Basque Country, out of their headquarters in Madrid. Uh, I saw a video of, of some Vox um, supporters walking through a village, or a, sorry, a town in the Basque Country, and people were just shouting things at them whilst this isn't a good way to do politics, Vox have been shouting terrorists, separatists, communists, uh, at a lot of Basque politicians, and they often talk about the unity of Spain. So by standing in a in a regional election, probably one of the strongest regional identities in Spain, I think the Basque country has one of the strongest regional identities alongside Catalonia. You know, Vox were going to get trouble. um, And they've said that they weren't able to deliver this message because of the protests. Despite not being able to deliver their message, even before the votes had come out, Vox were making complaints, uh, official complaints, towards regarding the election and the transparency of the election. So let me know what you think about the rise in. Uh, regional identity. Ha- are you living in a place where people have not shown so much identification with the national identity of Spain, uh, but more so with their regional identity? Are there regional flags hanging out windows where you're living? Um, be interesting to know. So you know, make sure you tweet on the hashtag Sobre Mesa. The king. Well, uh, should I say our previous king, Juan Carlos, who was put in place after Franco died, as the head of state, he was the one that oversaw the transition. He appointed the first prime minister, and he generally was quite well thought of, especially still is by many of the older crowd and or the older population in Spain. That was until he decided to go shoot an elephants in 2012, um, when the country was in the in the in the deepest part of the financial crisis. The uh King was caught shooting elephants at the expense of the taxpayer, so that obviously damaged his reputation quite a lot and But prior to this, the media in Spain had been quite friendly towards the king. They knew that he was having numerous affairs um or or different things, but they didn't really report on it but the shoot the shooting of the elephant thing in two thousand and twelve opened the floodgates for the media. Uh, especially the tabloid-type media in Spain. And they were just reporting on uh, alleged affairs and, and things like that. In 2014, Juan Carlos finally stood down and gave way to his son, Felipe. This was due to numerous scandals, including his son-in-law getting arrested for embezzlement. Uh, this month, the Spanish Supreme Court launched an investigation in into uh him taking uh a legal commission via for getting spain the commission of the high-speed train from the mecca to medina so this is a train that's being built in saudi arabia between the mecca and medina and it was in its second stage of being built and it was awarded to a spanish consor- business consortium uh of around 6.7 billion euros, and the com- the king took a commission for this. Uh, it's alleged, and it was being paid from the Saudi Arabian bank accounts into some Swiss bank accounts. Uh, the Swiss authorities are also investigating. So in March, just around the time of, well, it was just after the the lockdown was declared. The current king denounced any any inheritance from uh, his father and also said that he will be taking away his allowance that he gets from the state. Um, And ever since then, it seems that new evidence has came up and up and up around the king and these financial dealings. Uh, James Badcock from the, the Telegraph is a British journalist has been breaking most of these stories. They haven't really been broken by Spanish media But they are picking them up and they're quoting the Telegraph. Um, So it's definitely worth following him on Twitter if you want to keep up to date with this story. Now, a lot of people are talking about republics and getting really exciting about this the, the investigation into the king. They can only investigate him after 2014, after he stood down, because he was immune while he was king from being prosecuted or investigated. So... The Supreme Court is um, investigating him, but only from 2014, and they are looking into payments that he's been moving around from Switzerland to the Bahamas. So it's definitely worth reading up on, but I don't think it's worth getting too excited about the story that it's going to lead to the third Spanish Republic, because um, it will take you know a vote of over 50% in both the Senate and the the Cortes um, to try and, and a referendum to try and get rid of the king. Uh, and, you know, it's his dad doing it, not him. Felipe has been quite quiet um, regarding this matter, but he seems a lot more astute than his father, you could say. So um, I don't think that it's going to have a knock-on effect with him personally or sorry I don't think it's going to have a knock-on effect to his role uh, but it will start to make Spaniards question the role of the monarchy in the country. Uh, This was something similar that Pablo Iglesias said that you know while it's not a priority maybe it's a conversation that's opening up. And now on to our last item which is junior doctors in Madrid are planning to strike indefinitely from today. Not all the time, but at certain points, uh, every Monday and um, when they should be doing on calls on certain days. Now, they want to renegotiate the collective agreement that they have with the Comunidad de Madrid. So the Comunidad de Madrid that is run by Isabel Ayuso from the PP, uh, they they manage the contracts for the junior doctors. So they spend four years doing their, their junior doctor training. And and in each region has a different agreement with, with these junior doctors. Now, these junior doctors are saying we're basically being used as cheap labour. Uh, they work without rest days between 24-hour on-call shifts. So they do a 24-hour on-call shift, and then they go and work um, their normal day shift. Uh, they're one of the lowest paid in Spain, despite being in the capital city with you know some of the most um, specialist hospitals and some of the biggest hospitals in Spain Um, but the local government decided to set a minimum so when you're organizing a strike they normally say there's a minimum service required and the PP government set it to 100% in hospitals so the the junior doctors weren't very happy about this because it means that Really, the only people that can strike are the people, the doctors that aren't based in hospitals. So they've been out on the streets today, um, and they are also taking legal action against this ruling of the 100%. Um, so every Monday, just like this podcast, we will be seeing uh, a strike, and it will be going on throughout the week as well. Also, Isabella Ayuso is being taken to court by Podemos and privately by several hundred families over the deaths of the elderly in the care homes. And just another news item to keep your eyes out for is in Catalonia. Uh, One of the regions of Catalonia has been told to put the lockdown on, and basically it's refused. Uh, 300 people came out protesting, and they took it to the local courts, and the local courts said... You cannot enforce this um as a regional government it gave they gave the regional gov- the court gave the regional government several options um but the government uh, under Toro has decided to go for a different option that wasn't suggested by the courts, which is to pass a decree that would allow them to enforce this lockdown uh It's the same lockdown that come under the state of alarm. obviously Toro doesn't want to have to go to Pedro Sanchez and ask for another state of alarm which would give the Prime Minister another headache. But at the end of the day, uh, if it requires another state of alarm to stop the coronavirus spreading, they would be able to call a state of alarm, but only impose it upon certain areas. Um, But as per the Constitution, this has to be voted on every two weeks. So thanks very much for listening. This has been Sobre Mesa. I hope you found it informational and I hope you come back next week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with friends and give us a tweet on the hashtag Sobrenessa. Thank you very much. Have a nice week and see you soon.